0: But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This last week, as you saw in the pictures, I was a part of Kids Camp. and Kids Camp was a lot of fun. Darley Ann knew that uh, I do really good when you just give me one thing to do. And just do it, rather than trying to uh, trying to spread myself too thin. So she made me in charge of kids camp. i mean, kids games. I mean, not kids camp. No, that would have been bad. Uh, my specific role was every morning we had games, so there was kids were divided up into teams. You know, team Donkey Kong, team Mario, team uh, Pikachu, team Pac Man, etc., cetera, etc. And then uh, I had to plan games that were video game themed. Um, uh, we would have a half an hour of time. We had the gym, we had the outside, we had the, the garden. So we could do whatever we wanted. That was that was interesting because I was a youth pastor at one time in my life when I had a lot more energy. Um, but I, I think I learned to do things a little smarter this time, which was helpful. Um, so my favorite, though, like we played, we played uh, Pac-Man, we played Super Mario, and then the other one that we played was kind of an Angry Birds thing. And then the final one, my favorite, was Mario Kart. And you got to see it on the, on the video. I went on Facebook Marketplace and we found those little cars. You know those ones that kids sit in and they push the electric foot pedal down and it drives around at really slow speed? Well, we bought three of those that didn't work and we modified them. We broke off the one little piece so that the wheels could turn freely, and then we put straps on the end, and then we made, we had horses. These were run by horsepower, by people in the front. So one of the challenges we had, though, was that we had people had to have different roles. One person Three people could be in the buckets because there was balls being chucked out of these cars into buckets as they were driving around the the garden area. So some people had to be in the buckets trying to help bring the balls in. Then we needed four horses, okay? So who wanted to be horses? But then the big question was, who wanted to be the driver? And immediately, oh ooh, 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 About the fact that there was only going to be three drivers in the races, maybe four, and there was about 12 kids in each team. So there was that moment where the leaders had to kind of figure out okay, how am I going to choose who's ooh, 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 pick me, pick me they were going to listen to. The last race of each session, I took that decision out of their hands. Because the last race, we wanted them to be able to experience being pulled not by their peers, but by their leaders. Think Rod. So what we did, and I'm not sure how wise this was, but these are small cars. So we said the smallest person on each team gets to be the driver. So we had an old, you know, baseball batting helmet painted pink or green or whatever their team color was. And we had goggles on and then we strapped these little kids into these cars. They didn't go pick me, pick me, pick me. We went, we pick you. So they got in. And uh, that was interesting. And that's where Spencer stepped in. Spencer is, well, how would I describe him? He's like a 24-year-old brain in a kindy body. So intelligent, so articulate, seemingly fearless. Okay? At the end of the race, after Spencer and his team had come around and there had been even a couple of spills wiping out, Spencer got ejected from the car, uh, and then he decided that it would be better if he ran behind the car on the way back. Um, I decided to gather the kids around and interview him as, as one of our drivers, you know, like we do in, 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 on TV. One of my questions that I asked Spencer was what he was thinking as he was riding around the track in his little red Austin Mini. We thought we would show you what his response was because I think it probably says it better than I would. I don't know, but maybe not. He did not do the pick me, pick me, pick me, but we picked him. It's interesting. As I think about this, uh, this uh, passage that we've been given, James 3, chapter uh, three chapter, verses 13 to 18, it begins with a question, and honestly, it's a question that if I'm to be completely vulnerable, it causes me to want to throw my hands in the air high and yell, ooh, 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 ooh. Lord, pick me, pick me. Answer that question with me. So what's the question? Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, I, I, I think, if, I'm, if we're honest, I, I think I'd like to be known as wise. And I actually had met with a number of people throughout the last couple, three weeks when I've been preparing this message, and I thought I would ask them the question, so who are the people that you know that are really wise? And if I'm honest, again, secretly I'm going, I hope they say me. <laughs> Crazy. But who is it among you that you consider wise and understanding? Why is it that I want to be wise and understanding? Well, maybe it's because I grew up in the church, Christian home, and all my life I've always been taught that being wise and understanding is a good thing, that I'm supposed to pursue wisdom. That's logical. Many of us have grown up in the church; would probably believe that, or maybe it's because if I'm wise and understanding, it will help me avoid mistakes, help me prosper, flourish, uh, become successful, wealthy, maybe even famous. Because wise people usually know how to navigate that stuff. Or maybe it's because it's just good for my ego. If people think I'm wise and understanding, then they will think me; they'll ask me for wisdom, and if they ask me for wisdom, I must be special, valuable, important. But what does James have to say about this? The question, "Who is wise and understanding among you?" Well, if you go a little step next, at uh, verse fourteen, he talks about uh, two types of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James is describing two types of wisdom here. It might sound like this, the first one. Pick me, pick me, pick me as wise and understanding because, after all, it's all about me. Hmm. I don't think any of us would want to admit that. But let's take a look. It seems that James is addressing a problem in the church. There's conflict and division happening among believers. Now we would all sit here and go, what? In the church? That never happens in the church. Awkward silence. Awkward laugh. In my 28 years at Central Heights Church, I have never seen this happen. Never once. Nope. Nada. We've never had conflict here, have we? Yeah. Maybe. In fact, I think it's pretty common in the church. I'm reminded of a story of a guy who was, who was on a deserted island. He was there for 10 years. And all of a sudden he noticed that there was a, uh, a ship going by and then a safety boat was coming out towards him. And he was freaking out. He had no idea. How did they find me? So he just goes running down to the beach and he's swimming all the way out to the boat. And the captain gets there and he doesn't wait for them to haul him in. He just crawls in the boat. And he's just laying there relaxing. And the captain and him have are, are just waiting for him for a second. And then his captain says, are you okay? Oh, I've never been better. I've been waiting for you for 10 years. But how did you find me? The captain says, well, we were just going by and we noticed the island. But we noticed that there were three huts just up on that, le- up, up on that one section of the island there. And we wondered whether there were people here. Captain said, are you... Are you sure you're the only one here? "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm the only one here. I, I've been here by myself for 10 years. I'm the only one here." And then so the captain was like, uh, So then why are there three huts?" Oh oh, that's really easy. Well, that one hut, that's my house. And the other hut, that's my church. And the third hut, that's the church that I used to go to. See, folks, it happens, even with ourselves. The reason that trouble follows us if we change churches is because we go with it. Let's think about that for a second. Whether it's preaching style, music style, clothing style, leadership style, hairstyle, carpet style, Bible translations, logos, drums, organs, or even whether the youth should be allowed to go roller skating. That's in our history, by the way. Some of you are laughing because you were there. Conflict and disagreement are part of our church history and the church history of probably every church. Why? Because the church is full of us. The church is full of people. Imagine what church would be like if there weren't people. We'd all get along. Because there'd be none of us to fight. But there'd be none of us to get along either. It's interesting. So what's going on? So when James looks at this, and when we read in this passage, James is saying, in my day, things are no different. We have the same problem. And what does James do? He calls them on it. He says, hey, those of you who are causing the division seem to think you are acting out of wisdom. But the evidence, as he's pointing out, seems to be suggesting otherwise. If you go back a few verses, the ones that we studied last week, James seems to have addressed this issue of the tongue. Pastor David taught about this last week. James 3, verse 8 to 10. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. That's just a few verses back from our passage. The implication is that the conflict at hand is expressing itself in some pretty harsh talk. Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself saying things about people? Saying things about stuff in the church that you disagree with? Maybe even all in the, in the guise of it's a prayer request? Conflict in the church. But if I talk about it with the right people, then that's wise because then I can change it and influence it. It's a a bit of a slippery slope. But what does James say? These things ought not to be so. Where's the wisdom in that? So James gets really blunt. And he nails the root, the result, and the remedy of of earthly wisdom down. So I want to cover those three. What's the root, first of all? But if, you, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Those are verses 14 and 15. It's man-made wisdom, rooted in what is best for me, rather than on what's best for others. If I'm honest... I like what's best for me. And it's an uncomfortable position to be put in when all of a sudden I look in the mirror and I go, you know what? My decisions are being made based on what's best for me. Whether it's here in the church or whether it's in my relationships at home or at work or wherever it is. It's human nature. And sometimes even in the process we think we're wise. But James is telling us we need to rethink that. We need to have an honest assessment. And I know those are uncomfortable words, and I'm speaking them back to me. See, it's man-made wisdom based in what is best for me rather than what's best for others, but it's based on this. It's based on my limited knowledge, my earthbound knowledge, my human reasoning and feelings, and my comparison and competition with other people. That's what's at the roots. It's that instead of being on the perspective of the one who sees all, knows all, and has the power to transform difficult situations. And just in case you didn't get it, James throws in a word that kind of throws me. He refers to that kind of wisdom as earthly, unspiritual. We're okay with that. Demonic. Have you ever thought of a, of a conflict in the church as demonic? Well, I think that's where the roots are. Not necessarily that we have, you know, demons standing around each corner. I don't know exactly how all that works. But the roots of self-centeredness and bitterness and, 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 and jealousy come straight from the world of the enemy. And so the question I have is for myself... Do I honestly believe in some of the conflicts that I'm involved in that I really am listening to God or am I listening to the enemy? (sighs) What a great conversation at 9.30 in the morning on a Sunday in the summer. This is the absolute antithesis of who God is and what God desires for us. So I want to jump quickly now to what's the result of that then? So if we have selfish ambition and if we have bitter jealousy, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, James 3.16 says, there will be disorder and every vile practice. We don't use that word very often, vile. So I decided I would look up its simon second even say it. Synonyms. What are the synonyms that you find just, just as you go on Google? Foul. Nasty, unpleasant, bad, disagreeable, horrid, horrible, dreadful, abominable, atrocious, offensive, obnoxious, odious, unsavory, repulsive, off-putting, repellent, revolting, repugnant, disgusting, distasteful, loathful, loathsome, hateful, nauseating, sickening, should I stop? When when we have bitter jealousy and we have selfish ambition, that's what it's producing. And that is not God's desire for us. So what's the remedy? Please, let's get to the remedy. James 3.14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, let's own it. Let's admit it. Lord, show it to us and then let us be willing to bring it to confession. Humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves and stop denying it. If you go on to James 4, verses 6 to 10. And I apologize to whoever's preaching next week because I'm stealing some of your thunder. It says, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's been times in my life, I can guarantee it, where God has had to oppose me because I've been proud. And I can look around this room and see some of you here and realize that that in relationship with you, I've had to be called to account for that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Whatever conflicts that we find ourselves in, the biggest challenge that we have is to stop and say, Lord, do I need to be humbled? And I want to give us opportunity today to ask that question, and we'll do that a little bit later. But to just go, Lord, are there areas of my life that I'm not seeing? Because sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we think we're wise. And all we're doing is creating a vile mess. Anytime you find yourself in conflict, it's a powerful thing to ask, is bitter jealousy or selfish ambition at work in my life? Have I allowed it to become all about me? And if it is, confession and repentance is the remedy. So what about the other kind of wisdom that James presents? James 3, verses 17 and 18 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It might be described something like this. God, pick me to be wise and understanding because that kind of wisdom comes only from you. So before, pick me might have looked like this. Oh, 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 oh. I wonder sometimes, depending upon how you worship or how you demonstrate surrender, it might look like this. It might look like this. Lord, pick me to create in me these character traits. Because only from God does that come, that true wisdom. James 1.5, one that we've studied a while back, says it clearly, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 1.17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Wisdom comes from above. So my question is, in this case too, what's at the root? I was trying to think about what the root is. If, man's ma- if man-made wisdom is the result of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, then what's the antidote for that? I found it later on in James, again in this passage, James 4.10, which we looked at. Humble yourselves before the Lord... And he will exalt you. But what would cause me to humble myself? If I have a healthy understanding of my own unworthiness before God the Father, but a deep, deeper understanding of how he has demonstrated his love through the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross, And if I have a deeply rooted acceptance of all that he has done for me because of that death and resurrection. Not that I'm unworthy, but because of what Jesus has done, he has transformed me. Then I start to realize it's all about him. And what he's done. And so my life is no longer lived for me, but it's lived as an expression of gratefulness and thankfulness for all that he's done for me. So I begin to transform the way I think, thinking about what he wants rather than what I want, and it it will also reflect on how I treat others. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you are a follower of Jesus today, that has been done for you. Let me say that again. If you were a follower of Jesus today, that has been done for you. So it's not necessarily dwelling on where you've been or knowing that you're unworthy, although we know that, but it's taking that from from the, the place of unworthiness and taking us to the place where God says, you are my beloved child and I paid everything I needed to pay. So that you could be free and you could be yourself and you could serve myself, and God, and others with joy. And you can come to me, God says, and say, you know what, God, I need some wisdom here in this situation. Because really I'm a little bit nervous that I'm going to just get involved in myself and it's going to cause friction. And I need you to help me out because I don't know how to sort this out. Rather than it's about me, it's, it's about God, I need you to do in me. When I, am humble, when I humble myself and allow God to be the foundation of my value and my worth, and when my identity is determined by what He says and not by what others think of me or my ideas of my wisdom and my understanding, then my posture will change. God picked me to be wise and understanding. As I humble myself and I take up that posture, he is the one who will exalt me, stabilize me, and begin the process of instilling in me the qualities that will produce wisdom from above. It will also transform the way I see the person next to me and how I treat them. Understanding where I've come from and all that's been done by the incredible maker of the universe who says, come to me, If you lack wisdom. When wisdom comes from above, this is what is produced. 317 says, But the wisdom from above is pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. How many of you would like to have friends like that? I would. Honestly, I'd like I'd like to be that. And in all honesty, God is making us to be that. But we've got ways to go. But the wisdom, it says, if we lack wisdom, we ask. And so, this last little section of our time together, I want to simply take a time and lead us through a prayer. Not all of these, one, two, three, eight categories or, or character traits will all be. Ones that jump off the page to us that God, you want God to work on. But I'm just going to walk us through it slowly. And I'm just going to invite you to pray. Take whatever position or po- uh, posture you want. If you close your eyes, if you raise your hands, if you kneel, whatever you want to do. Sit in your seat. But we're just going to pray through each one of those. And we're going to simply pray the prayer, Lord, pick me to be these things. So would you join me in prayer? I'm going to pray those things out. We'll take a little bit of time to do that. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we are inviting you to give us wisdom from above. And because of that, we are recognizing that even in this passage, there are things we want you to give us. Character traits we want you to shape in us. And so, Lord, we come to you and we say, pick me to be pure. By the power of your Holy Spirit in both action and in motive. And Lord, pick me to be peaceable. You know the situations where I need you to do that in me. By the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you know my life and I ask you to pick me to be gentle. That character quality would grow in me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I would ask that you would pick me to be open to reason. To be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry to really listen when I'm having conversations, especially heated conversations with people, places where I disagree. Would your wisdom create, pick us to be gentle and open to reason? Lord, we ask you to pick us to be full of mercy by the power of your Spirit as ones who have received mercy we ask for us to be given the ability to overflow with mercy. Help us to understand how much mercy we have received, how much grace we have received so we can be full of mercy. Lord, pick us to be full of good fruit. May our lives reflect transformation in ourselves and in others. May other people notice and may their lives be different because we've been there, because your spirit's been there. Lord, pick me to be impartial. That's a hard one, because Lord, there are some people that are on a different, different level of, of, of life than we all are. But they're not. They're not unlovable. They're just different. And Lord, I need people to love me, to not be partial about me. Lord, help us to be impartial. By the power of your Holy Spirit, pick me to become that. Lord, pick me to be sincere. In the midst of all of this, Lord, may it not be about ourselves, but it may truly be a growing in the area of sincerity. Lord, help us to see people the way you see them and circumstances the way you see them with humility. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the result. As we grow in God's wisdom, it will shape the way I live. It will be expressed by my life. And it will be expressed by how I treat others. And then at the very end of the passage, it says this, James 3.18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's our goal, that's our desire, is that the Lord, by the power of His Spirit, because of what He's done in us, that a harvest of righteousness would be what Central Heights Church and all of us that are part of that body, that community, that there would be a harvest of righteousness. Okay? May the Lord give you grace to be able to, to live that out. My, my challenge to you, my takeaway, my take home... If you go to verse 17, James 3:17, take each of those seven or eight qualities, post it somewhere, and just spend the week praying, Lord, maybe there's one or two that jump off the page. Pick me to grow in this area.